Well, this morning we're returning to our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament book of James. And someone has created a list that I think is pretty good. The person has said that a list for our churches ought to be something like this. We need salvation. Number two, we need sufferers. Number three, we need soundness. Number four, we need strength. Five, we need separation. Six, we need studying. And seven, we need surety. Well, that's a good list. Let me add something that James 4.11 says ought not to be on the list of a church. We don't need slander. We don't need slander. And if you consider with me James uh, chapter 4, verse 11 is where we left off when we broke from the James series before Christmas. The next verse is verse 11. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. God says to us this morning that there need not be, there should not be, slander under any steeple of any church. I hope you will remember that James chapter 4 is a chapter on worldliness. We have defined the world not as continents and seas of the globe, but the world rather is a system, a worldview, a whole system of looking at life that cheerfully and completely leaves Jesus Christ out. That's the world in which we live. The world in which we live is not neutral. It is not a moral world. It is a world slanted on the playing field toward godlessness. All the Uh, viewpoints of the person who is worldly, whether they're inside of a church or outside of a church, wants to cheerfully leave Jesus Christ out of everything. Politics, education, medicine, law, uh, finances, the arts, etc. And this chapter 4 of James is dealing with the topic of worldliness. People in this case, in context, Christians who have begun to think and live and choose and decide as if Jesus Christ wasn't a part of any of it. And this chapter on chapter 4 of James is on worldliness. The first two verses of the chapter give us the cause for worldliness in Christians. It's unsanctified desires. Verses 3 through 6 of chapter 4 give us the consequences of worldliness. And these are un answered selfish prayers, spiritual adultery, and pride. Verses 7 to 10 give us the cure for worldliness, and the cure for worldliness is humility. And now we come to the section in the chapter, uh, chapter uh, 4, verses 11 to 17, and these verses give us the characteristics of worldliness. And we stand at the front door of the list when we come to verse 11. The very first characteristic of worldliness is slander, but not just slander anywhere, particularly slander within the church. Slander under the steeple. There's a warning against ever slandering a brother or a sister in Christ within your own church family. Slander is like a snake that slithers into a sack lunch. When you open your sack lunch and you find a snake in it, it takes away your appetite. 
when there is slander under the steeple of any local church, the snake slithers into the sack lunch and it takes away the Christian's spiritual appetite and it takes away the non-Christian who observes the, the steeple and the people under it who are slandering each other. It takes away the lost person's appetite for Jesus. So slander under the steeple is a serious problem. Now, if you look at verse 11, you need to see with me that this is being written to blood-bought, redeemed, born-again, legitimate Christians, not to the world that doesn't know Christ. I see it there. Do you not speak against one another? Brethren, those are saved individuals. He who speaks against a brother, that's a saved individual, or judges his brother, speaks against the law. And judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but the judge of it. So this verse, this prohibition against slander is directed to people like you and me. Saved people who worship under a steeple in a local assembly like this one. When there is a snake in the sack lunch of any local church... When a serpent has slithered into the sack lunch of believers in any assembly, a few things happen. The appetite, the spiritual appetites that are proper diminish. If slander gains a foothold in any local church, then it isn't too long before persons in that local church have a disinterest in gathering like we have this morning and corporately worshiping the triune God. The youth groups of a church where Slander has slithered into the sack lunch like a snake. The kids in those youth groups feel very uncomfortable because they're feeling a little vulnerable anyway at that age of being a teenager. And if they feel that they can't have a safe place in their youth group because someone's talking behind their back, then youth group becomes a very tenuous, a very nervous, a very stressful place where it ought not to be for believing children. I could go on. When the snake of slander slithers into the sack lunch of any local church, uh, prayer meetings become gossip sessions. Let me just tell you by way of a prayer request, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, slander under the steeple is a serious problem because it takes away spiritual appetite within the church, but it also takes away spiritual appetite outside the church. I mean, if we are slanderers and we are born-again Christians and we work, and we try to tell someone about Jesus or invite them to church, and they say, well, you talk behind his back just like he does, and he's not a Christian. Let's take a New Testament case study, the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi had a lot going for it, really. They really did. The church at Philippi had elders, and it had deacons. It had partnered in the gospel with the apostle Paul from the outset. It was a loving church. It was a knowledgeable church. It prayed for Paul. This church suffered for Christ's sake. It had a lot going for it. The church at Philippi had a track record, basically, of obedience. It sent their own man, Epaphroditus, to Paul as a prisoner when he was in jail to minister to him. And the church at Philippi also, commendably, had a financial support interest in Paul's ministry. All sounds good, right? But under the steeple at the ancient church in Philippi, there were two slanderers. Two snakes that had slithered into the sack lunch of the church at Philippi. In this case, it happened to be two women. Two sisters in Christ, Euodia and Syntyche. 
Euodia. You know about Suntachi. Euodia and Suntachi. That's a joke. Philippians 4, 2 to 3. When you have to explain your jokes, you're not doing well. <laughs> Verse 2, Philippians 4. I, Paul says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. They weren't living in harmony in the Lord because they were slandering each other. Verse 3, indeed, true comrade, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul writes to someone called Yokefellow and says, straighten those women out. Have them stop slandering each other and others in the church at Philippi. Yeah, Paul wanted someone he called a loyal yoke fellow who was there on site in Philippi to assist and correct these particular slandering women to stop bickering with each other about each other. You see, leaving slander unaddressed in any local church is as foolhardy as getting your hand in a sack lunch with a snake in it and just carrying on it like it's business as usual. Let's go back to James 4.11. This James 4.11 makes an important link between some things that we ought not to miss in this sermon of slander under the steeple. And the things that are linked up in this verse 11 is that... that um, Speaking against is linked with judging. Judging is linked with speaking against. When you speak against, you judge. When you judge, you speak against. Let's see it here. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law. Oh, these, these folks even can speak against the law, the Bible speaks against the law and judges the law, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. So here's what the verse is saying. It's saying that we can judge someone else's motives inappropriately. We can even judge the Bible inappropriately when we speak against a person behind their back or when we speak against the Bible with that audacity to do something like that. So the Bible in verse 11 of James 4 is saying there's Siamese twins here. They're inseparable. They're indivisible. They're joined. They're linked. It's slander and judging. Judging is linked with slandering, and slandering is linked with judging. That's what verse 11 is teaching. So when you slander a person, you're judging him or her. When you speak against God's law, then you're judging Scripture. That verse doesn't apply to me. If that person's, when I took them to the Bible with a problem in their life, say, don't try to play the Holy Spirit. Well, no, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, and he'll be active in your life if you open your heart and humble yourself. So let's talk a bit about slander. I keep using the word slander under the steeple and slander, slander, slander. What is slander? What is slander? Slander is speaking against a person who isn't present. Slander is criticizing and condemning a person behind their back. Slander is verbally judging against a person but not face to face. There is an element of gossip within slander. 
there is an element of gossip because gossip is talking negatively about an individual who is not present with a person who is neither part of the problem nor the solution. If you start talking to someone who isn't part of the problem or the solution of some other person who is not present, you are gossiping, and you should stop. And so when we slander, when we judge someone else's motives, when they are not physically present with us, we do it behind their back, we slander them when we talk to others about, about them to others in a negative way, often gossip is associated with that. Gossip, again, to define gossip, is talking about someone when they are not present, when the person you're talking to about that person is neither part of the problem or the solution. So slander is speaking against a person behind their back, criticizing a person behind their back, verbally judging a person's motives, but not face-to-face, and so on. And it's so easy to enter into this talk for all of us. So easy. Now, what about judging? Since the verse links speaking against with judging, slander is wrapped into judging. What, what is judging? What's the problem with judging in this verse? What, does, what is problematic judging? Judging is evaluating another person's motives. You can't accurately judge my motivation for preaching right now. You can't because it's internal and it's not visible. Frankly, sometimes I don't even know my own motives when I do things, let alone anybody else claiming they could know my motives. So judging is evaluating a person's motives, trying to do that. Judging is scoring somebody else's reasons for what they did or didn't do. Judging is rating someone else's reasons for saying what they said. Judging is examining somebody else's reasons for thinking what they thought. And it's easy to try to judge someone else's motives, but that's out of bounds. It is only God Almighty who is omniscient, who can judge anyone's motives. Only God. But it's easy for us to fall into the sin of judging someone else's heart motives, I think. Proverbs 16, verse 2 Proverbs 16, verse 2 is an interesting verse. It says, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Will you notice that it does not say, but your wife weighs your motives. It doesn't say, but your husband weighs your motives. It doesn't say your pastor weighs your motives. It says the Lord weighs the motives. Motive judging and evaluating is not our business. Now you say, okay, pastor, does this fit with Matthew 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said the following? Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at that speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We would be wrong to conclude that we are not to judge other people's actions. What we can't judge and we are improper to judge are their motives. Only God knows their motives. But we can judge sin when we see sinful behavior in one another, right? And we should. We should call a brother or a sister who's off the path and disobeying the word of God in humility, lest we too fall into the same sin. We should go to them and say, hey, you're off base. According to Galatians 3, in this matter, you're off base. Come on back to obedience. So it's not the judging of behaviors that are sinful that is prohibited. It's the trying to judge the motivations of others that God says, stay out of that. Mind your own business when it comes to judging motives. Motives, God says, are for me to know and judge. If we go to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3, Paul kind of wraps a summary statement up around this. He says in, in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians this, verse 3 to 5. Paul says, But to me it is a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. Paul realized you know what? doesn't really matter how you evaluate me. I'm going to let God evaluate me. Verse 4, I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light uh, the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives. God will disclose the motives of each man's heart. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Do you know what? Every motivation for everything I do in my redeemed life on earth, I've known Christ close to 55 years, all my motives for everything I've done since I asked Jesus to be my Savior, they're going to be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. And what I did with proper motivation for the honor and glory of God, God will even graciously reward me. But what I did that even may have looked good, that wasn't with the right motivation, a selfish motivation, God will withhold reward for me on that good deed. Same for all of you. And so it's not our business to try to judge another believer's motives, and worse, if we try to judge another believer's motives and then go talking to someone else in a disparaging way about what we think her motives are, that's slander and it's sin. It's a snake under the steeple in the lunch sack. So we go back to uh, James 4, 11, please. Do not speak against another brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Judging others and speaking ill against them behind their back and slandering is pretty easy, but it's pretty bad. Because it'll take away the appetite, the spiritual appetite in an assembly if that runs wild. And worse, perhaps, it'll take away 
the spiritual appetite of lost and unregenerate persons who know that we slander as Christians as much as the non-Christians they know slander. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the Bible, paraphrases James 4.11 with these convicting words. You're supposed to be honoring the message, the message, not writing graffiti on it. When we judge another person's motives and think they're wrong, and then we go behind that person's back and run them down to a third person, we are putting graffiti on the Bible. We are taking a spray can out and spray painting the scriptures in an ugly way. We don't want to do that. I wonder as I'm preaching, has the Holy Spirit been tapping you on the heart and reminding you of a conversation you've recently had? There wasn't a positive conversation about someone who was not present, but it was a negative and critical and judgmental conversation. What you need to do if the Holy Spirit's convicted you of that is you need to get down on your knees before you go to lunch today and ask God to forgive you for being a slanderer And then you have to pick up the phone and you have to ask the person you blabbed it to to forgive you for slandering in their ears. And then you need to talk to the person you slandered and ask their forgiveness. No one signs up for surgery, but when you need an operation, you need an operation. All right. True story. My sweet wife, as an early teenager, was part of a church that her daddy pastored in Racine, Wisconsin. And there was a, a mean-spirited, critical, and judgmental older woman in the church who came to Bath as a young teenager and said some very terrible and very untrue things about Bath to her face. But she had also been talking about my wife in a negative and critical way to others in the church before she spoke to Beth. This woman, this mean-spirited slanderer, this serpent who slithered into the sack lunch of that local church, never had met my wife, never had spoken to her, but she made some judgments about Beth's motives and had run her down far and wide in the church. Eventually, when she delivered her poison dart of slander to Beth directly, she, she said some very mean things right to Beth that were not true. And she stormed off, having done that business, stormed off. Slander, judging someone else's motives, a snake in a sack lunch under the steeple. Of course, Beth, as a young girl, was deeply shocked and deeply hurt by what happened with the woman's words. And through tears at lunch, she told her mommy what had happened at church. Now, I'll tell you something. Because the woman who was so mean-spirited and the slander, she was genuinely born again, you can know the Holy Spirit worked overtime to convict her of sin as he does to convict any of us of our sin, right? 
So you know the Holy Spirit was convicting this slanderous snake in the sack lunch under that steeple, but did she ever make it right with the women she slandered about Beth to? Did she ever make it right to the person she slandered, Beth? No, she didn't. She just carried on business as usual. I wonder how many other young persons she stomped upon with her presuppositions and her slanderous speech. She never came around that we know of. She went from best sack lunch because her daddy and mommy took her to the Bible and said, sweetie, what she said about you is not in what she accused you of is not against any scripture. It's her preferences that she didn't like. It wasn't scripture. Honey, you're not doing nothing wrong in the sight of God because you're not disobeying any scripture. And she must have some real problems that she would talk to a young girl like you that way. You know what? Why don't we ask God for grace so that you could forgive her? And by God's grace, with her parents' help, she did that. She chose to forgive that mean-spirited, critical, and slanderous lady. But because the lady didn't repent, she just slithered on to the next sack lunch that she could infiltrate and take away spiritual appetite within. In closing this sermon, I want to briefly touch on why to stop slander in our church and how to stop slander in our church. Why stop slander in our church is what I've been telling you repeatedly in this message. Slander under the steeple is like a snake in a sack lunch. It takes away spiritual appetite, and it hurts and turns persons off of God and off of his people. That's why we need to stop slander in our church. How? How do we stop slander in our church? In the first place, we refuse to say it. You've been wondering, why in the world is this up here? I'm trying to lose weight. I should never have uh, bought these donuts because there used to be six. When I went into Dunkin' Donuts and these guys were on the shelf and I was looking them over, debating what I would pick, I should have walked out of the store. I should have not bought the donuts. You yourselves should choose not to enter into a statement or a conversation whereby you are slandering any other brother or sister in Christ. Don't even start. Because you know what? If I didn't pick these donuts and take them to the parsonage, I wouldn't be tempted to eat them at the parsonage because they wouldn't be there. So the first way we stop slander is we don't buy a donut. We don't buy a donut. Sorry, Duncan. We eliminate the negative and the critical and the behind-the-back speech. My mother trained me, son, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. There were some days I was pretty quiet. How do we stop slander in our church? We refuse to say it. We don't buy the donuts. But you know what? It's not quite that simple. 
Because you can be minding your own business in this church, and someone comes up to you and says, hey, I bought you a donut. Donut? You weren't planning to have a donut, but they were planning to have a donut because they bought one for you. And there'll be people who will come up to you in different settings under the steeple here, and they'll say, you hear about? You know why she did that. <laughs> I can't believe how she handles her kids, and it must mean this. Have a donut. No, don't have a donut. Just say, no thanks. I'm allergic to donuts. Nope, I'm good. I'm fine. And so we refuse to say it. That's not buying the donut. And we refuse to hear it. Like the man in the first church I pastored, he was an eye doctor. And we were gathered in the basement, the finished basement of his house. And we were having a fellowship time with people from the church. And somebody in the circle raised another name of a believer in our church who wasn't in the basement of that house and started saying something critical and negative about the person. And the eye doctor said, hey, I'm not in the practice of talking about anybody who isn't present except in a positive light. Boy, that shut it down. He said, we, the person in the circle said, how about a donut? And the eye doctor said, I don't eat donuts. That's how we shut down slander. We don't buy the donuts. We don't enter into slanderous speech. And we don't get sucked into slanderous speech when someone else has bought us the donut. I'm going to go over here just behind Sister Diana, may I have what's behind you there, that pillow? Just right there. Yeah, yes. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. This is my pillow. I feel like Linus out of Charlie Brown. There are feathers in this pillow. If I took a razor blade and I cut the pillow sleeve with the razor blade, and it was a breezy day, and I went like this, in the wind, those, those feathers would wind up who knows where, right? What would it be like then if you said, Pastor Rob, retrieve all the feathers? I can't retrieve all the feathers. We can't retrieve every word that we say, brethren. And our words go much further than we ever imagined. It says in Proverbs 10, 19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Let's restrain our lips. If we can't say something positive and, and uh, encouraging and, and uplifting about somebody else, then just be quiet. The other verse I want to close with is, let's face it, let's be real. The reason that slander is such a problem is that the donuts look tasty. If this was dill pickles, you might not be inclined to want one. You might. But a donut looks so sweet and so appealing and so interesting. And you know what they taste like with coffee. And boy, that would be all right. Slander is like a donut. 
It's appealing. It says in Proverbs 26, verse 22, the words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost part of the body. That's why it takes God's strength not to buy the donuts. And that's why it takes God's strength when someone has bought you with some donuts and says, here, have a donut. I know that we'll take this to heart. I don't know of any slander in the body. So you're saying, who is he talking about? I don't know. I don't know of any slander. Praise God. But the Bible is preventative medicine, right? It's curative, but it's also preventative. So I can honestly say, I don't know of any slanderer that I'm trying to preach at here. I just know that slander is part of the human condition, so we have to be careful, right? And God tells us in his word to watch out. Don't let slander slither in to this church like a snake and park itself in a sack lunch and take away spiritual appetite within and spiritual appetite without. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges any brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the practicality of your word. And thank you for the power of the Spirit to guard our mouths and our speech. (coughs) May he do so. And may the church go forward in unity and love. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. And God's people said, Amen.